Hi, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. I expressed a casual wish to a woman wearing an amulet, and now I'm still pretty. We're here today to talk about Older and Far Away, the 14th episode of Season 6. Older and Far Away aired on February 12, 2002, and was written by Drew Z. Greenberg with Rebecca Rand Kirshner and Stephen S. DeKnight as story editors. Older and Far Away was directed by Buffy veteran Michael Gershman, who we first saw in the director's chair on the amazing second season episode, Passion. Gershman is also director of photography for 82 episodes of Buffy, so visually, this guy knows what he's doing. So far in the run of the series, we've had four Buffy birthday episodes, Surprise, Helpless, A New Man, and Blood Ties. This episode is the last time we celebrate Buffy's birthday in the show, and that's probably for the best. It never really goes well for her. Run off, huh? Afraid to face a true warrior? Ooh, shiny. This episode has never really been at the top of my list of favorites for a few reasons. Dawn has a real, genuine complaint here, but they push her so far into whiny, snotty territory that it's easy to forget the justified vulnerability underneath all that and just be annoyed with her, especially when she starts screeching and screaming at people. The disappearing demon of the week is kind of meh. It provides some nice escalations throughout, but ultimately he doesn't meld well with the themes of the episodes, and he's just kind of another hurdle to jump over. Richard, Sophie, and Clem are new introductions, although this is the second time we've seen Clem, and we will see him again, but ultimately none of them are particularly good additions to this episode. Sophie's more of a vending machine for flat jokes than an actual character, and she's ultimately forgettable. Clem's sweet, and it's a nice idea to have a good-natured demon in the middle of a season about the nature of mundane human evil, but his character doesn't add any fluff to the pancake. And Richard? Well... He's not a douchebag and he doesn't have floppy hair, but he's even more boring than Owen from Never Kill a Boy on the First Date, and I didn't think that was possible. But aside from those elements, this is actually a pretty solid episode. Tara's shift into confidence and strength this season continues, and watching her personal growth through such a tough time is inspiring, and I love the developing closeness between her and Buffy. Willow and Tara's awkward reconnection is heartbreaking and wonderful, and now that they've both changed and grown, we can see how there might be hope for a reconciliation, which makes my little shipper heart happy. Dawn's chosen expression of her essential complaint is a bit screechy, but it comes from a really good and solid conflict, and using a vengeance demon to manifest her wish is a nice trick. Halfrek is wonderful, and I love the way her presence here expands our understanding of vengeance demons and of the world in general. So while there are things that don't work quite as well in this episode, what works is pretty great. Let's get into the weeds. I wish I could just make them stop going away but seriously it's it's no big deal i'm fine as this is a dawn heavy episode let's start there again i know lots of people hate dawn and there are valid reasons to shout about her more annoying qualities i'm not going to defend them she's shrieky and shrill and snotty but the reason why this bugs me isn't because i hate dawn it's because i think she's got some really valid complaints and some lovely vulnerability but you have to look so hard for it because of all the shrieky shrill snottiness here's dawn 
used to be a mystical key, which was freaky as hell, but now she's for all intents and purposes the mundane orphan sister of the Slayer. Everyone around her is wrapped up in their own lives. Apparently things have finally gone south with Janice because she doesn't even seem to have that relationship anymore. I guess Amber Tamblyn had bigger fish to fry over on Joan of Arcadia. Anya is the only one who pays any attention to Dawn in this episode, and then it's with a pat on the head like she's a dachshund. Even Willow, when Dawn complains about people wanting to leave the party, says they all have more important things to do, which is kind of hurtful. So this kid, who has recently lost both her mother and her sister, who has in reality never even met her loser deadbeat of a father, is being shunted to the side. Now that her sister has returned, she needs attention and care, and she's not really getting it. But it's not until the quiet scene with Buffy in her bedroom, when Dawn opens up and expresses her real vulnerability, that we get to see the great, strong, sad heart of Dawn. And even then, we elide over the big talk and see just the very beginning of it and just the very end. It's a shame because Dawn's heartbreak and sadness is powerful, and it's a central theme to this story. And if we played down the annoying teenager parts, this could have been an incredible episode for her. The other Dawn is just an average teenager element here is the shoplifting. Look, I know we're exploring mundanity in this season of Buffy, and that's an interesting road to go down. We're going to talk about that a lot when I do the season six big picture episode after we finish the individual episode discussions. But the shoplifting is so prosaic and flat that it doesn't feel particularly meaningful. What Buffy does great is using metaphor to isolate and elevate the flavors in the meaningful stew of story. Hey, Who says I'm not poetic, right? And then with the shoplifting, it's just, hey, troubled kids steal stuff. There aren't any layers to it, with the exception of two brighter moments. One is when Dawn uses the stolen leather jacket she got for Buffy to hug herself, which whispers back to that sweet and heartbreaking scene in Bargaining Part 1 where she cuddles up next to the Buffy bot in Buffy's room. The second is Anya's sense of betrayal when she discovers that much of what Dawn stole was from the magic box. That adds a personal element to the act of stealing, and if she was particularly close to Anya or wanted Anya's brand of condescending attention, it would be even better. This is one of those times, one of the many, many times, when I really miss Giles' presence here. If Dawn had stolen from Giles to get his attention, that would have been nice. And I think he would have handled the betrayal with a sensitivity that's, you know, missing from Anya. As it is, though, it's just another, hey, this is a thing troubled kids do element that may be a little too mundane for the kind of show that Buffy is. But Dawn's wish to a vengeance demon that people would stay with her is deeply affecting and poignant. And like every monkey's paw wish, it's about being very specific. What Dawn really wanted wasn't for people to simply stay, but for people to want to stay with her. And that's not what she got. Not until the end, when everyone is finally able to leave the house and Buffy stays back, shutting the door on the rest of the world as she turns to her sister with a smile. It's good stuff. So, you ever think about not celebrating a birthday? Used to try it, I mean. Here we are at another hapless Buffy birthday, trying to forget that the best predictor of the future is the past as we plan another Buffy bash that is, of course, going to go horribly wrong. Aside from Richard, Sophie, and Clem, all of whom are less than fascinating additions and all of whom could be removed from this episode without being missed, there are lots of good things going on in the party scenes. While I'm not a huge fan of the disappearing demon who lives in his sword, which I guess is kind of like the demon version of living in a van down by the river, I do like how nicely the birthday party is structured around these growing escalations. 
First, they all want to stay, and it's a little weird, but they let that go. Then they slowly realize that they can't leave, and something's not quite right. Willow can't do magic, but she has some emergency supplies. And of course, even with Tara at the magical helm, the spell goes sideways and releases the demon from his sword van instead of releasing them from the house. Then the demon slashes both Richard and Xander, who need to go to a doctor but can't leave. And when Halfrek shows up, the only person who can lift the spell, the demon stabs her through the chest immediately. We're seeing things getting worse and worse, and that is how you escalate structure. It's nicely done. Of course, the sword through Halfrick's chest is immediately undone, so we don't live with the consequence of that escalation, but it's still pretty good. One thing that would have made it all better, though, if we'd gotten rid of Sophie, Clem, and Richard. These characters do nothing for the story, except Richard, who represents escalating stakes as he gets slashed by the demon, except that nobody really cares about Richard, so it doesn't really matter. If Xander had gotten the slash that Richard got, we would have cared, and it would serve as a much stronger motivation for Anya to come down so hard on Willow for not doing magic, to rifle through Dawn's things, and to heighten her chagrin when she realizes that it's actually her who brought the badness to town in the form of her friend and bridesmaid, Halfrek. And let's talk about Halfrek for a bit, because she's fantastic. I love how we have this meditation on the various specialties of vengeance demons. For Anya, it was scorned women, but for Halfrek, it's kids in pain. Anya accuses her of having daddy issues, and that may be true, but I like that we're expanding the world of the vengeance demon. It's a cool concept, and I like what Halfrek brings to our understanding of that vocation. It's also a really nice reference when Halfrek sees Spike and says, William? For those of you who might not remember, Callie Rocha played Cecily, the object of Spike's obsession in Fool for Love, and it gives us some nice unanswered questions. Was Cecily an alias for Halfrek, or did something happen to her later on that made her get de Hoffren's attention? There are answers to these questions out there, but only if you're willing to read the novels and the comic books. But as long as we're talking about Spike... Hey, Mr. Passive-Aggressive Guy, seriously, you want to take it down a notch or two in there? What, poor dainty Richard can't take a joke. We do not joke about eating people in this house. There isn't a lot of fresh ground in the Spike and Buffy interactions in this episode, but I do find it interesting that they appear to have, I don't know if made up is the right term here, but even though he's still sporting the massive shiner he got from the beating Buffy gave him in Dead Things, they seem to be on fairly friendly terms. I mean, friendly enough that they get caught in the hallway in a somewhat compromising position. Spike is also clearly jealous of Richard, which is cute, but he's met Richard, who is a big wet lasagna noodle. I can't imagine Spike being threatened by that guy, but given Buffy's bleeding tragic taste in men, I guess I can see it. It's a cute element to watch Spike suffer in his love for Buffy, but it doesn't do much to advance the relationship, which is kind of stalling on the side of the road at this point. The best part of the Buffy-Spike tension is Tara, who now knows the secret and is playfully messing with Spike. She teases him about Richard being cute and later suggests he put some ice on that cramp in his pants. And all of it is in service of protecting and helping Buffy without giving her insider knowledge away. I've always liked Tara, but this episode is one of the best for her, especially when it comes to her relationship with Willow. Let's talk about that. You know, I I don't know if you noticed, but it actually did get bad in there really bad and you still said no 
One relationship that is advancing in this episode is Willow and Tara. After a few weeks of very little interaction, we're seeing the two of them together again, and it's really nice, you know, if a little awkward. Tara is different from who she was before, and I think that's okay. She's been through a lot, not just from the breakup with Willow, but with everything since Buffy's death last season. Hell, since Glory stole her brain. She moved into the house, essentially becoming a parenting team with Willow and Raising Dawn. She helped bring Buffy back from the dead, which is a huge big deal, and then had to face down Willow's addiction and make the hard choice to leave and separate from her lover as well as from her friends for a long time. When we saw Tara in Dead Things, she was the bright spot of hope and love, and here we see that she's also gained confidence and strength. This isn't the mousy, uncertain tarot that we met in season four. She's self-assured and strong. She has changed, and in a good way that makes sense given what she's been through. We see her confidently teasing Spike, playing poker with Clem, and even stealing a drink from Buffy to help her deal with seeing Willow again. She's still Tara, but she's a mature, fully grown Tara, and it's wonderful to see. When everything comes to a head and Anya makes the very correct argument that Willow is a powerful witch who won't do what needs to be done, Tara steps in, essentially showing Anya that if she wants to come after Willow, she'll have to go through Tara first. A move that is somewhat reminiscent of how everyone stood up for Tara in Season five's family. So let's talk a little bit about Willow and the magic. We're continuing this analog of magic equals drugs, even going so far as to have Willow attending a regular Spellcaster's anonymous meeting, and while it's not a good analog, we're still living in it. Anya is right. Willow has power, and when life and death are on the line, her refusal to use that power is irresponsible. When Willow admits that she kept some magical supplies, just in case, Tara's disappointment is palpable, and I think it's misplaced. Magic does not equal drugs. Anya is right, although the way she comes after Willow is wrong. So I'm going to state that for the record, but... If we accept the show's stated thesis that magic does equal drugs, then Tara's response to Willow's handling of the situation is really incredible. Some of us may have to whistle a bit to see it all the way the show clearly wants us to see it, but the payoff for the whistling is worth it, I think. Tara does the spell in Willow's stead, taking on the magical responsibility in order to protect Willow, which is an act of love and compassion. Tara expresses her disappointment that Willow has magical supplies, but later when she and Willow talk about it, she's understanding and forgiving and encouraging, telling Willow that it's time to work without a net. And while Willow is feeling terrible about the whole thing, Tara reminds her of her strength in the face of Anya's wrath, and the awkwardness between them fades away, allowing them to be Tara and Willow again, supporting each other as a team against the world. So while I think that Anya's technically right and Tara's technically wrong, I'm happy to whistle, for a little while at least. Tara is amazing in this episode, and I love the emotional notes that we hit and the progress we make with these two by the end. Tara and Willow, y'all. Tara and Willow. We're trapped in a house by, by what, some unseen force or something. Who knows what she's doing in there? And I have to tell you, I don't think that's a skin condition. Older and Far Away has some missteps, but at its core, it's a solid episode with some nice emotional notes and some great relationship development between Willow and Tara. The visual direction is fantastic, with some nice new takes on familiar settings, and once you get past the bad Dawn stuff, there's great work advancing Buffy and Dawn's relationship and some real progress toward getting Dawn past this kind of annoying stage that she's been stuck in for a while. Halfrek and the Monkey's Paw Wish story is fun and engaging, and while this may never be my favorite episode of Buffy, it's got a lot to recommend it. That's it for now. Until next time, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and I may be dead. 
but at least I'm still pretty. See you later. Still Pretty is a chipperish media production and is entirely patron-supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Chipperish.